This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing tonight? I'm well, but not as good as you. Second place in office trivia. How does it feel? Yeah, <laughs> it feels pretty good. Uh, I mean, first place would definitely be uh, even better, but we were only one point behind and there were some pretty big teams out there that had a lot of uh, brain power going at it. So I feel pretty good about only being a point behind with three people on our team. Did you manage to plug the show at all while you were there? <laughs> uh, I wish, but it was absolute. It was an absolute madhouse. There was no chance of plugging anything if I even wanted yeah. to. But uh, still, maybe sometime in the future, maybe the next one. <laughs> That's a lot of fun. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and we're actually going to be diving into my experience a little bit more uh, in our bonus episode this week. So a little plug for our Patreon if you would like to hear some of the questions that were asked and just a little bit more about the experience, you can go over to Patreon, subscribe for as little as a dollar, and uh, join in the fun. But in the meantime, let's just go ahead and dive into our episode discussion. We are first talking about Customer Survey. It aired on November 6th of 2008 and was directed by uh, Stephen Merchant, which is really cool because he is one of the original creators of the UK office with Ricky Gervais. And they also together wrote The Convict back in season three. So this was his first episode to direct of the show. It's his only episode to direct of the show. Uh, But it was written by Lester Lewis. Once a year, Kelly, as customer service, creates a rating of each salesman based on customer surveys. This year, both Jim and Dwight, two of the best salesmen in the office, have surprisingly low scores. They find this unlikely, so they search for the reason. Andy and Angela continue to play on their wedding and finally settle on a location. Happens to be Dwight's beet farm. And Pam is approached by a friend, proposing that she not move back to Scranton because she has a lot unfulfilled in New York still. It seems to give her and Jim a lot to think about. We get to see a little bit more of Kelly's vindictive side, which I didn't really know existed up to this point. She's been pretty tough on Ryan this season, but that was pretty well deserved too. So we get to see a little bit of a twist on Kelly this time around. Yeah, I guess I always knew she had it in her because her toying with Ryan, but as you said, he deserved it. Um, Mm -hmm. But the reason that we learn that she is messing with Jim and Dwight is just so silly um yeah she over the summer threw a uh america's got talent finale watch party invited the office and jim and dwight were the only two people in the whole office that didn't come and they just now remembered this when she basically um kind of hustled them out of their bonuses uh their bonuses dependent on these surveys so pretty Intense. I mean, to get uh, Jim and Dwight that worked up about um, something like this, it clearly had some some real results uh, in their in their finances. So, not something necessarily to mess around with, but she does have a little bit of uh, bite to her. Yeah. And before we find out that it was Kelly sort of messing with them and trying to seek revenge in a way, uh, you have Michael trying to figure out what to do about these two, and he decides he needs to. Uh, micro-jing them. <laughs> he doesn't know exactly what the term for micromanaging is. He says, I'm trying to remember exactly how he phrases it, but... 
I'm going to manage you on a more micro level. Is that's that it? it. Yeah. And he asks, yeah, yeah. A more micro form of management. Yes, that's Jim what says, is, yeah. he says, Jim, what is that called? And Jim says, micro-judgment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> boom. That's it. <laughs> uh, so he, he comes up with this whole scenario where Jim is the customer and Dwight is calling and trying to make the sale. And Jim decides to have fun with it and goes so far into it that Dwight gets super worked out or worked up. Michael buys into the fantasy and it ultimately makes Michael at least kind of consider firing Dwight just because he's so bought into this, this story that Jim has crafted around the character of Bill Butlicker. (laughs) So it's interesting to see how Michael tries to handle the situation when really they don't need it. Yeah, that has got to be, I think it's arguably people's favorite scene, favorite funny scene from The Office. It's definitely up there. I'd say it's maybe top five. People love the Bill Butlicker um, fake phone call. And it's <laughs> just really good. I mean, I get why they like it. Uh, I really like it, too. I don't know that it's in my top, like, absolute favorite moments, but it's really, really funny. Um Watching just how invested all three actors are in this scene um the stakes are just really high and <laughs> they're all completely it's as if it's a real sales call and they're just hilarious the thing is though at least the criticism for dwight seems pretty legitimate you know like uh kelly does a really good job of writing comments that could be pretty applicable to especially dwight maybe a little bit to jim but she writes stuff like his personal style is abrasive and distasteful, and he's aggressive, hostile, and difficult. And if that doesn't describe Dwight, then, I mean, what other words would you use to describe Dwight? So she does a pretty good job of trying to cover her tracks, but unfortunately, both Jim and Dwight are pretty good salesmen. So, Which always kind of surprised me, because Dwight, he is aggressive, he, he, is, he is hostile a lot of times, and we even see that with his clients. Uh, with his customers, so that that wouldn't come out in his day-to-day sales is surprising, so I think that's right online. I don't think Michael even was surprised (laughs) to see that he was um, Mm -hmm. being, you know, criticized for that. Um, But, yeah, for Kelly to pull her personal um, opinions about Dwight into the situation is pretty inappropriate, but I still love her. It's okay. And then the way she tries to act it off once they figured the whole thing out and Michael confronts her about it, she first says, oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. What what could you be talking about? And then when when the ball drops and there's no escaping it, she says, I was raped. And Michael says, Kelly, you can't just keep doing that. Not again. Again? That is an awful thing to claim when it didn't happen. And Secondly, we've seen her do something like that before back in Dunder Mifflin Infinity back at the beginning of season four when she claimed she was pregnant just to get a dinner date with Ryan. It's just crazy the the lengths she's trying to go to to get out of this situation. Yeah, she's someone to me that seems like she thinks she's always like on a reality show or something because her like she speaks as if there are cameras on her all the time. You know what I mean? Like. Which I guess mm-hmm. there are. They're doing a, a documentary, but anyway, it's it's. She says things that no sane person would say, or no like mentally healthy person would say. Honestly, um, yeah. And and this this whole thing with with Jim and Dwight, it didn't ever like hit me 
really how that kind of messed up that was. Um, because they easily could have just been like, wow, I guess we were really off our game this year. That sucks. Um, and kind of moved mm-hmm. on and they could have really gotten a financial hit, but they, they caught it in time. When they do confront her, Dwight says he, he's painting a picture of a girl from Southern India. I can almost guarantee she wasn't born in India. Um, who, despite being welcomed to this country, will now spend the rest of her life in prison for a crime she did commit. This isn't, I mean, I wouldn't think this is like prison worthy offense, maybe fireable, but I really like how Michael deals with the situation. And because, because he empathizes with her, he says, you know, I have such great trouble getting people to come visit. Uh, my place like I, I understand trying to have people over and then ditching you or just straight up not going or showing any interest so I'm going to take it easy on you and I, I really like that I mean still what Kelly did was wrong there's not really an excuse for it but Michael sympathizes with her on that that level and I, I, I like that we also don't get a whole lot of Michael Kelly scenes one-on-one, so it's cool to see them interact a little bit. Mm-hmm. Having them sort of cackling there at the end, trying to disguise that they're having fun when he should be uh, chastising her in a certain way. Uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty great scene. Uh, speaking of Michael, at the very start of the episode, he has lied to everyone about what happened between him and Holly at the end of the last episode. When they parted ways, I mean, from what I remember, it was definitely more on the breakup side of things, not the we're engaged side of things. And he gets so caught up in the lie that he's eventually on the phone with his mother on speakerphone with everybody else listening around. And he has to admit to everybody, including his mom, that no, I'm not getting married. In fact, his mom, right off the bat, he says, Mom, I'm getting married. She says, No, you're not. And it wasn't even like a, wait, no, you're not. Like, it, it wasn't, she didn't for a second believe that he was engaged. Um, and then Michael said, whenever I'm getting married, you don't believe me. <laughs> um, so clearly this is... Maybe because you're not married. Right. Yeah. After all this time. So clearly he's done this before. Um, my guess is every girl that he has thought about dating, <laughs> honestly, yeah. I feel like he's done this with every girlfriend we've seen Michael have. And this is, I guess, just to make himself feel better, he can play out this little fantasy of what he would rather happen um, than what has actually happened. But it's a scenario that's best left in your head, and he decided to do the uh, live showing, which was not a great (laughs) uh, idea, because it's just, it's sad. Because when everyone finds out that it's in fact false, it's just, it's really pathetic, honestly. I think Michael amplifies others' opinions of him. So if they think something he did is nice or cool or slightly awesome, he multiplies that by 10 in his own mind. And so he's already feeling sorry for himself because he and Holly had to break up. And so if everybody else starts feeling sorry for himself, he's just going to like dive into a pit of despair. I mean, there's no middle ground with Michael. If somebody thinks something of him, he's just going to multiply it because that's the kind of person he is. He's always putting on a show. And so it's always 10 times better or 10 times worse than it actually is, Uh, which, I mean, I can can sympathize with, but 
Daryl Daryl says at the beginning of the episode, I'm not a great believer in therapy, but I would pay his copay out of my own pocket <laughs> for a therapist because a guy who lies about an engagement when really it was exactly the opposite, there's there's a little something going on there. And then, of course, we have our Andy Angela uh, storyline here, which all three storylines are just a little, well, two or three, are just a little much. Um, We have our Andy Angela one where they finally settle on a location, which, to our knowledge, is the first real step in planning the wedding. Like, this is the only thing they decided on. Um, Because Angela has just shot every opinion, every idea that Andy has had down until this point. And they got engaged a while ago at this point, and they've made no moves. So finally, finally, um, they make some progress. Angela demands that she must get married in a a hand-plowed field that has a barn with antique tools, and it must be in a five to eight mile radius. Uh, Can you think of many places? Because she knows exactly (laughs) where she wants and it's, of course, Dwight's farm. She has these little light bulbs going off in the back of her head. Um, so she's clearly not over Dwight yet. She's so specific with what she wants. She wants a barn where she can lay on her back and see the stars through the holes in the roof and tools on the walls that she can look at when she turns over. I mean, she obviously has a very specific place in mind because she's probably had sex in a very specific place on Dwight's property. And yeah. <laughs> Well, first off, I I have to ask, Andy is so psyched when he finds uh, Shroot Farms, and it's almost as if their conflict from the previous episode is completely erased, right? That was employee transfer, where Dwight showed up dressed as a Cornelian, and they had their whole conflict. Uh, So it's only been a weekend, but I guess, I mean, it was a (laughs) a quick spat and they were done. I don't know. Uh, But poor Andy, he's... He doesn't realize he's being super cuckolded and being tricked into marrying a woman on the property belonging to the man she's having an affair with. When, when they meet with Dwight in the conference room, Dwight barely looks at him while he's talking about Shroot Farms and how he'll work tirelessly for them and they're free to stop by any time of the day or night. I mean, it, pretty different intentions than what he's actually saying. There's a very clear subtext to those of us who know what's going on. And Andy tries to hold Angela's hands and she, she has no reciprocation. It's just like, what do you expect me to do with this? As she continues to look admiringly and lovingly back on Dwight. It's just such a sad moment because Andy is trying to make something happen and Angela's blocking it every step of the way. In my notes for this, I just put, first of all, how pathological. (laughs) It's just like, as you said, to marry someone you don't love and you've said you don't love, to marry him in the home of the man that you are sleeping with uh, voluntarily. It's just incredibly messed up. Um, And that's the only place that she's even willing to discuss getting married. It's like a, a control game, you know? It, I have power over you because I have the secret and I'm holding it right under your nose, but you don't see it. It sucks. Yeah. And Dwight's um, talk with them about the location and, you know, how great a, a wedding vendor he would be. Um, he's just longingly staring at Angela. It's very 
private. It's very like intimate. And he's just staring at her and Andy would love to be part of this conversation too. But um, it's definitely just between Angela and Dwight at this point. Um, Andy may as well just not be there. We'll talk more about Pam and Jim here in a few minutes. Uh, There's one small thing that I wanted to mention. There's a whiteboard that's behind Kelly's desk that we get a little bit of a glimpse of. I think we've seen it at other points in the series so far, but it's labeled ending quarterly sales. And the top name looks like Andrew. So I'm guessing Andy. And then it's Jim, Dwight, Phyllis, Stanley, Michael, and Creed. I don't know how much faith we're supposed to put in this thing, whether it's real or accurate or not, but that would mean that Andy is the best salesman or has the most sales uh, than Jim and then Dwight. So do we really think Andy is the best salesman at this time? And there's sort of an answer in the deleted scenes. And is Dwight really the third best? And how is Creed selling paper if he's the quabity assuance guy? (laughs) And should Michael even be counted? Right. I mean... I, I was sort of a little bit more flexible in that because as a manager, we've seen him make a few sales, but yeah. I, I don't know if that's there for for commission purposes or just for the sake of keeping track of stock or I, I don't right, know, but it, it was just a really interesting chart for me. I can't say that I noticed that. Um, I'll have to rewatch and take a look, but yeah, that's interesting. And Creed is the real question mark there. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm real curious. Yeah. I'm wondering in later seasons, um, without giving anything away, if they decided to make Andy a bad salesman, if that was just a plot point later on. But mm-hmm. that doesn't seem to be an issue necessarily in these early, in these earlier seasons anyway. Well, like I said, there is a deleted scene, and I guess I can go ahead and mention it now. Uh, there's a deleted scene where after Jim and Dwight get their bad uh, scores from their customer surveys, Andy says, yes, I'm no longer the worst salesman in the office. So, right. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not an accurate whiteboard, but it's interesting anyway. Yeah. Good discussion point. Uh, how about funny stuff? Regarding Michael's wedding that isn't going to happen. Kelly. So he, he tells Kelly that she can be a bridesmaid, which pretty sure that's not his decision to begin with. Um, <laughs> and then uh, he tells her that she can wear any color that she wants. So Kelly buys a bridesmaid's dress and it is white. And this is the second time in five seasons that we have seen Kelly do this. The first being Phyllis's wedding, where she said it was an emergency. And then we get a talking head where she says, I look really good in white. <laughs> so <laughs> Kelly likes to wear white to weddings, clearly. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, try and steal attention away from the bride. That's exactly what, I mean, exactly, because it's Kelly and she just loves all the attention on her. Imagine mm-hmm. Kelly's wedding, I gotta say. That girl. <laughs> Bridezilla. <laughs> on Jim's customer survey, they use the words smug and arrogant, but Michael pronounces it smudge. Either that or Kelly spelled it wrong on the paper. I don't know which it is, but... Uh, Mike Jim starts sort of retaliating against that like there's no way and M- Michael says there's the arrogance and Jim says something else and Michael says and there's our smudgeness <laughs> that's a that's always a great reference that that is pretty low-key in in public but it, it's pretty funny if you get the joke something that we were just talking about actually the um Angela Dwight love connection in the conference room 
I wanted to point out the camera frame, which was actually really funny when they were um, having that discussion between Dwight and Angela. Andy was in the room, but it was clearly just between those two. The camera was really tight on Angela's face, and Andy wanting to be so much a part of this conversation just, like, leaned in. (laughs) He was just really trying to be a part of this conversation, and it was just, it made me laugh really hard. When Dwight goes in for his reviewing of the customer survey with Michael, Michael props his feet up on his desk and Dwight leans back and starts to do the same. But right before his feet touch the hardwood, Michael says, no. (laughs) And he just says, sorry, and puts his feet down. Kelly, as I mentioned earlier, had her America's Got Talent finale party. And um, as party favors, she gave everyone mugs with their faces and a star like the America's Got Talent logo. And a couple of funny moments regarding these mugs, one being uh, Jim is having a cup of coffee and he uses Andy's mug. And he says, "Uh, hey, man, that's my mug. Do you mind not using it? And um, Jim pretends that it's he doesn't see the resemblance between Andy's face on the mug and Andy's real face. And so he makes him make the same face that he makes on the mug. (laughs) And then related to that, as Jim is realizing what the problem is, why Kelly is mad at him, he's realizing that everyone besides Dwight and himself have these mugs. And the, again, with the cameras, there was just really good camera work this episode. Um, He was just jumping around from desk to desk, looking at the cabinets, and the camera work got really, really fast. And um, actually, as uh, Mindy Kaling said in the commentary, it's like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. He's just, <laughs> yeah. it's like so dramatic. It's Everything ties together. Yeah, it's like, it's like a mystery's <laughs> been solved, and he's like running around, and it's just very dramatic filming, and it's really funny. I, I did have some beef with Jim, though. Like, who just goes into the kitchen and just grabs a random mug? Like, you should have your mug that you should use, but it's a good comedy moment, so I don't really care. But I was like, I would have a mug, right. and I would wash my mug, and I would use my mug, maybe a couple mugs if I don't want to wash every day, but but still, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dwight, uh, when he confronts Kelly the first time, before they have proof about sabotaging, uh, he says, I know you're the mastermind, but you're too stupid to do it by yourself. <laughs> Those directly conflict with each other, Dwight. Those are two conflicting notions. And then he says, the reason I got bad customer reviews is because I didn't. (laughs) I always love that one, too. Again, conflicting, Dwight. (laughs) And then last one for me, I think um, we didn't mention it earlier, but Jim and Pam have uh, the world's tiniest Bluetooths. So they have itty-bitty Bluetooths in their ear just to talk on the phone all day because, as Pam says... Dunder Mifflin has a policy against eight-hour personal calls. So they're sneaking around and doing it. And Jim has some fun with Dwight during the day because Dwight doesn't know that he's talking to Pam in his ear. And so he'll just, I don't know quite how to describe it, but he'll he'll be talking and Dwight thinks it's to him. And Jim's like, well, I'm not talking to you. Well, who do you think is there? And like he'll say thanks and, <laughs> and love you too. And Dwight's like, I did not say I love you. And just kind of messing with Dwight all day. <laughs> what do you that. think I'm saying to yeah. you? <laughs> and that transitions into our discussion topic because as you mentioned they did have the world's tiniest bluetooth as a way to sort of cope with the distance and be in contact with each other a little bit more regularly which has been a theme of season five so far and there's a moment at the very end of the episode where pam is 
not confronted is the wrong word, but he's approached by her friend Alex from the Pratt Institute. And he basically says, you came up here to get better at your art and to pursue your dream, right? Well, then you shouldn't go back to Scranton. You should stay here because this is where the art scene is. You came here to get better at your art, so stay here to get better at your art. Obviously, the conflict there is she's engaged to Jim also, and they've been struggling with the distance already. Can they make it last longer? Now, unlike earlier in the episode where Jim sort of momentarily mutes the Bluetooth device in order to sort of keep Pam in the dark on just a couple things as he's trying to figure things out and not scare her, Pam leaves it on, and so Jim hears all of this, and you see both of them reacting in real time to what Alex is saying. And so I just wanted to bring up for our discussion topic, what do you think each of them is thinking? I'll start with Jim. I think he's thinking, like, God, I don't want to be selfish. Mm-hmm. Of course, he wants Pam back. He wants his fiance back. He wants to kind of get a move on with their lives. But he knows why why Pam is there. He knows why he okayed it. Or not okayed it, but why he gave her his blessing to go to New York. I think he's just kind of trying to remember, okay, I said that this was okay. This is her dream. It's going to be okay. We're strong enough to do another three months. Um, as for Pam, I don't know why, but a part of me is like, thinking that she thinks that Alex is maybe right because she did go to New York to do art and specifically to complete art school to uh, pursue her career as an artist. So can that realistically happen in Scranton? Do they need to move to New York for that to happen? Is she good enough for that to happen? Jim, I mean, would likely, at least for a long time, be the primary income holder, um, especially if she's just starting out. So is that feasible? Like all this stuff, just personally, I'd feel like I'm being a burden. So I bet that is kind of going through her head a bit. I hadn't thought about that angle with Pam regarding, am I good enough? Uh, but I think that's that's pretty good. I, I think Jim's sort of reaction is a little bit easier to pick apart just because we've seen uh, that Jim has proven that he wants the best for Pam if it makes her happy, if this is what she wants to do and pursue her dreams. And he sees the truth in what Alex is saying. This is something that she has wanted for a long time. There were references to her being an artist way back in the beginning of the show. He was encouraging her in season two, uh, Boys and Girls. Isn't that the name of the episode where Jan first mentioned this art program? Yeah, Boys and Girls. And yeah, and so he's been... Uh, championing this as a possibility for Pam for a long time. So it's easy to see exactly what his conflict is there because he doesn't want to be with her. I mean, heck, he drove and met her halfway just so he could finally be engaged to her. But Pam, I think it's definitely what you were saying about maybe not feeling good enough. But I think there was maybe even a small part of her that might have been thinking, it has been a while and they're nearing the end. We find out in the beginning of the next episode that she's only a week away from coming back. And how long, how much longer can they keep this going? There's just a lot of different kinds of conflicting emotion in Pam, especially. As for deleted scenes this episode, um, I only had a couple to talk about. Jim admits to Dwight that he was right to be suspicious of Kelly. Um, so they celebrate a little bit. 
Pam on the Bluetooth wonders what else Dwight might have been right about over the years. We get a series of scenes where Dwight says ridiculous things like, Big pharmaceuticals don't want you to know that beet juice is both an aphrodisiac and a laxative, which sounds disastrous. <laughs> That's a bad combo. <laughs> <laughs> sounds horrible. <laughs> that Jesus's daughter was the Mona Lisa, and that fake crab meat is actually real crab meat, and that real crab meat is lobster, which might be the most random of the three. <laughs> <laughs> so what's lobster then? <laughs> you don't ask. <laughs> At the start of the episode, when Michael is still exercising this fantasy that him and Holly are engaged, they ask about how he proposed. He says, I bought Holly a 10-carat diamond ring. And you see Jim in the background just sort of shake his head. And I looked up what a 10-carat diamond ring looks at. It's I did, huge. too. <laughs> There's no way. No way. No. And he says, I got down on my hands and knees. That's called begging. <laughs> yeah. And a shooting star went overhead. And it lit up the diamond to look like a shooting star but also we were in a restaurant so right. there goes the shooting star he says i hid the ring in a cheeseburger <laughs> she started choking on it <laughs> <laughs> and he had cpr training he claims so he started doing the heimlich those two things aren't related and the ring popped out of her mouth bounced off of the shrimp cocktail don't know why you'd be eating shrimp cocktail with a cheeseburger but anyways it landed miraculously right on her finger. <laughs> Million to one shot. Like every every comma that you get to in that sentence, I'm like, wait, but <laughs> that's not. You just said. <laughs> yeah. It's just a completely ridiculous statement. And I love how Jim just knew right away. He said 10 carat and Jim's like, no, that's not a true story. <laughs> Dwight has a talking head where he explains that um, with his bonus check he gets from this rating, if you will, from customer service, he buys paper for himself. It boosts his sales, which boosts his bonus. He said, eventually I'll get a bonus so big I can retire on it, and then I'll use the papers to write the memoirs. <laughs> okay. That's ambitious, but I appreciate your <laughs> self-starter attitude, Dwight. Go for it. Yeah, it's not a bonus if you feed it back into your sales in order to get another bonus in order to repeat the cycle over and over whatever not how it works but, that's okay. <laughs> uh, but i would love to read a memoir from dwight uh we get a little taste of that at the beginning oh, yeah. of rain wilson's book there's an intro written as dwight to his book so oh i didn't know that great. that's cool yeah uh michael is trying to explain why the customer surveys are important so he introduces a scenario that is exactly paper he even says reams. He says 500 reams of carrots. And so it doesn't work at all because you don't buy reams of carrots. And it's not necessary because it's not a hard concept to understand. He just says, replace everything I just said, the word carrots, with paper. And that's, that's why customer surveys are important. It, it's not hard to understand, Michael. Uh, last one for me. Dwight says that people need to be more paranoid. And then he reveals that he subscribes to the multiple gunmen JFK assassination theory uh, instead of just Lee Harvey Oswald. And he says, I would have fired first with the hidden gun I had. I would have killed all three of them, including the supposedly fake Jackie Kennedy sitting right next to him. <laughs> and then he would kill himself to not cause a paradox. But would killing the other, the killers not cause a paradox? Uh, whatever, Dwight. Not but then Dwight. he says he would twist out of the way of the bullet at the last second, which you can't do. It's not going to happen. Uh, and also then you would not die, thus creating a paradox. But 
Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Lots of conflict conflict within what people are saying in this episode. And then we also got a commentary for this episode. Um, Stephen Merchant, Mindy Kalig, and BJ Novak. Mm-hmm. Is that right? No, it was uh, Paul Lieberstein. Paul Lieberstein. Yes, thank you. Oh, which, by the way, w- something we hadn't uh, mentioned yet, Paul Lieberstein in season five took over show running. That's right. Yeah. Greg Daniels was the guy for the first four seasons. And at the beginning of season five, it's uh, Paul Lieberstein, I think, with Jennifer Salata. And they they take care of things for a while. So Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. a bit. Good, good to mention. Merchant said that in the UK version, there was a bit more improv in the US version than in the UK version. He said that in the UK version, they generally filmed what they wrote, a little bit of improv here and there, going into and out of scenes. Um, Ricky Gervais liked to, you know, wiggle a little bit. But in the US version, he said there's a lot more... Bel- a lot more wiggle room. Um, he was surprised at, at how much, like, Steve Carell, for instance, would um, would improv. He said that it was so frustrating because he would, like, slave over a joke, take it in, and then <laughs> Steve Carell would just make it better in one take. He would just rewrite it for him. <laughs> I was like, well, fine, okay. I guess, I guess you're better at this. <laughs> Yeah, it was a really interesting commentary because we got a little bit of insight into the UK version as well. He said that him and Ricky Gervais pretty much tackled the show, uh, their version of the show, on their own. They didn't have a huge network behind them or a huge production team. It was the two of them sitting in a room together brainstorming story ideas, and they were written long before they started filming. And so, yeah, there wasn't as much wiggle room aside from scene transitions. So that was really interesting. And then they talked about how day one of filming, you know, they they scripted this whole episode with this idea of the tiniest Bluetooth device, thinking that it existed. And in day one of filming, they realized, oh, it doesn't exist. And so they had to craft something up themselves. Yeah, that's why Mindy says that they threw in that they bought it or that Pam bought it um, at a, a Japanese shop in the village because, like, sure, maybe this was smuggled in from japan and i don't know like just some <laughs> some cover story and that they would have clo- uh, cost close to like twenty thousand dollars or something just to get these at this time which yeah didn't exist again about Stephen merchant he said that he felt like he brought so little to this episode as the director because the performers were so good that they could basically just do it without him um kind of again about that steve carell but like he said he just didn't feel super needed <laughs> He did say that the the butt liquor scene was not in the original script, but it did co- come from a concept by him based on experience he'd had a while back uh, regarding training in uh, a selling environment. And something else Merchant did was he actually rehearsed the actors before filming, which isn't something that they normally did on the set of The Office. So that was cool that he, he brought something different in to the table. He mentioned a joke that was cut, a joke gone too far, which I don't even super feel comfortable mentioning, um, (laughs) but I will in the name of the office. It was a joke that Dwight presented Michael as a congratulations on your engagement gift um, with a ring to wear for his wedding day. It was a ring uh, with the Star of David. Now, Dwight is not Jewish. He is German. And there are some strong ties we have been insinuated to Nazism. 
I will end it there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How would he have gotten that? <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> Let's go ahead and transition into our next episode. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> our next episode is Business Trip. It aired on October 13th, 2008, was directed by Randall Einhorn, written by Brent Forrester. David Wallace is sending Michael on a business trip up to Winnipeg, that's in Canada, and he's accompanied by his translator, Andy, and his numbers guy, Oscar. In addition to attending to business, the trio hit up the local nightlife and tried to make the best of their time in a foreign country, with varying levels of success. Back in Scranton, Jim is anxiously awaiting the arrival of Pam at the conclusion of her time at Pratt, only one week away, until she learns that she's failing a class and will have to retake it, meaning another three months in New York. Pam must decide what means more to her, being with Jim or finishing what she started in art school. We kind of get a a, a conclusion to what was thrown at us in the last few minutes of of the last episode uh, with the Jim and Pam situation. Uh, let's start with Michael, though, because he's always a good place to start. David Wallace is sending him on this trip because, essentially, because he feels bad for him. He had to yank Holly back to Nashua, back to New Hampshire, and this is sort of a goodwill gesture. Michael's really excited about going on this trip. David says, also, it works out nicely because no one really wants to go to Canada in mid-November. Um <laughs> <laughs> but Michael sees himself an international businessman now and is thrilled at the opportunity. But as we see as the episode progresses, it wasn't a Band-Aid big enough to fix what David did. He's so excited for this trip. He's hyping up what he's going to buy and what he's going to do and how he's going to fly. He says, I'm going to eat a filet with mushroom sauce. I don't know what he thinks airlines normally serve on their flights, but I can tell you it's normally not filets with mushroom sauce. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oscar Oscar offers him a sandwich and he turns it down only to learn that there won't be a meal served on the flight because it's less than two hours and that also means that very few if any of the 20 DVDs he brought for this trip he'll be able to finish it's like Michael does no research which no. I think that's probably very accurate Yeah. <laughs> or the research he does is very poor <laughs> yeah <laughs> just a brief skim He's so excited to fly business class, which admittedly I've never done. But as you said, even on nicer airlines, I can't imagine the food being just incredible. Maybe on the nicer airlines, edible, but no. He's thrilled. Um, He's also over the moon about the idea of his hotel having a concierge, which I feel like most hotels that are like of a certain quality have concierge concierges, if you will. Um, (laughs) He likens them to a modern-day geisha, (laughs) schooled in the art of fanciness. So he is just absolutely taken with uh, his hotel concierge. Even if, like, the smaller hotels don't have concierges, I think the people at the front desk are generally pretty well-versed in their city and can help you out in the same way a concierge would be able to. So it's definitely not a big deal. Uh, like he makes it up to be. He he treats her like she doesn't speak English. He says lots of how you say a beautiful <laughs> night or how you say completely glowing or whatever he says. And she just looks completely bewildered at first because he, he and the others have taken her advice to go to a bar called The Huntsman. And she ends up being there. And 
as bewildered as she may seem at first, Andy buys them both a glass of wine. I don't know if it's alcohol that does it, but they end up leaving the Huntsman together, making out in the alleyway, and then going to the hotel together? Do we... I assume they actually did have sex, uh, but I I don't know... If it wasn't good, because in the morning, because she seemed to she seemed to want to get rid of him. Honestly, there's no like sort of heartfelt goodbye. I mean, not that they had any real connection, but it's here. You can leave. I'm tired. I don't want breakfast with you. Oh, and you left your shoes behind. I'm going to put them outside my door so you don't come back inside. You know, I didn't even get the feeling that it was morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that was a pretty immediate goodbye (laughs) yeah but yeah it didn't seem super friendly either way and we watch we watch a really rejected michael just kind of i don't know saunter away from her room Mm -hmm. um i think that's where he really starts to miss holly most because even his his rebound from holly it's just it's not exciting enough it's not it's not friendly Mm -hmm. it's a stranger and he's just lonely and sad i think David apologizes for Holly at the start of the episode, and Michael says, oh, it's all in the past. But hooking up with Concierge Marie showed him how special it is to be intimate with someone you feel close to, i.e. Holly, versus someone you don't. And at the end of the episode, after he's made the sale, it's been, by all, for all purposes, a pretty successful trip. He calls David out on it on the phone. He says, you know, it was a really sucky thing to do when you knew that I liked her. And, you know, I said... At the end of, um, what was it? What's the name of that episode? Oh, uh, Crime Aid, when he first found out that, I I get it. I understand why David reacted the way he did. Because we saw what happened with Jan and Michael and the litigation they had to go through and how expensive it could have been in the end, just because Jan went off her rocker and there was a relationship with Michael and all that kind of stuff. So I don't completely blame him. I do think he reacted a little too quickly, trying to prevent a situation or not. but. Michael, I don't know, he, he's pretty upset because we've seen how respectful he's been to David and how over the moon he is with Dunder Mifflin in a lot of situations, but he yells at David and then hangs up in the middle of what David's saying. He's, he's pissed off. And I, I side with Michael. I side with both people in this situation because I think Michael also has a reason to be pissed off. We don't see Michael get pissed off too much really at all, and especially at David. And for him to hang up on David like that, a man he respects, I think, and kind of needs to respect. I mean, it's his boss. Um, to hang up on him mid-sentence is a bold move, especially for Michael. So I think that even more, um, it's a testament to his feelings for Holly, because that really, really wasn't okay in his book that he did that to Michael. At the very end, the sort of last thing we get from Michael is he's got a talking head as they're boarding their flight. He says, why have I worked at Dunder Mifflin for so long? Uh, I think it's because they respect me. Do we think that's true? That they respect him? Mm-hmm. Oh, loaded deeper <laughs> question than we have time for. Yeah. I don't think they do. You don't? Not See, I- really. The only counter I have to that, though, is that he still has a job, you know? Yeah, but to that I would say he's trained, he's holding um, he's holding the office together pretty well. They have good numbers, all things considered, and why lose what's working? 
Um, I think mm-hmm. they may think he's a suitable manager, but I don't think they necessarily respect him as a person. Okay. I think we can leave that there for now. Yeah. Um, we'll get back to that at some point. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Let's go to Andy and Oscar. I like this little friendship that's starting here. It's small. Oscar is putting the brakes on it. You know, we're going to ease into this. But (laughs) Oscar and Andy um, drunkenly discuss at the bar at the Huntsman why Angela won't sleep with him. Now, Oscar has shared a corner with Angela and Kevin for a long time. So Oscar knows Angela pretty well. And he's not a huge fan. (laughs) Um... (laughs) So he starts kind of badgering Andy about it um, in a friendly, drunken way. And they end up calling Angela. And Andy is just pretty far gone at this point. And in the middle of that phone call, where he's asking her why she won't sleep with him, we hear a familiar voice in the background um, saying, who is that monkey? Which, as we know, monkey is Dwight's name for Angela. So... They're back together, I guess, which is the first time we've seen them uh, hook up since he said he wouldn't with the ultimatum. Um, is that right? What did you just say? I, I was is sort that- of... <laughs> no, it's good. We, we haven't seen Angela and Andy hook up since the ultimatum with Phyllis, since Crime Aid, I guess. Yeah. Uh, do you think that Angela gets so pissed off at Andy for the phone call because he sort of caught her in the act? Yeah. That's something that just sort of occurred to me. Because, I mean, yeah, I think she'd be pissed off for him drunkenly calling her. But I think the fact that she was having sex with not him at the moment sort of heightens it. Yeah, I think she got scared for sure. I can't imagine Angela being anything but pissed in that situation because it's Angela and mm-hmm. why not be angry because she can be. But that's a good point. Yeah. I didn't think about that, but that, that makes sense. We get a little bit more glimpse into why Andy thinks he likes Angela, at least, or why he does like her, uh, at least from the perspective of his drunken self. He says, I see a soft jelly in the middle of her and she's helping me to be a better person. But I don't believe that because Angela's not a good person. So uh, I, I don't know exactly what Andy thinks she's helping him to be better at, but he sees something. Um, we also see Andy trying to be a wingman for both Michael and Oscar in this episode. I wondered why, but I think it comes down to he thinks he's happy with Angela, but he's not. And not being happy in his own relationship, he's trying to help others find it in theirs. That's a good point. He is so desperately trying to, like, pawn love off on people because he isn't. Yeah, that's kind of all I have to say about that. That's a good point. And the last thing I have to say about Oscar, at least, is I I, I like seeing him have a little bit more of a fun side as he and Andy both get drunk. And he he seems pretty serious at first, but when Andy actually starts to make the call, he gets giddy all of a sudden, like drunk and giddy, like, oh, don't don't, don't call her, don't call her, don't do it. (laughs) And he like shouts at Angela over the phone while Andy's on the phone with her. Why won't you do Andy? (laughs) I really love seeing Oscar happy. We don't see him happy a whole lot. He's very pragmatic a lot of the time, and he's he's very factual. I mean, he's an accountant. But seeing him have fun is a lot of fun. Then the last, well, I say last, we've sort of got a storyline and a half left to briefly talk about Pam is coming back in a week or not. 
she fails one of her courses, and so she has to retake it, which means another three months. And Jim, again, is ever supportive and tells her it's not about me. It's about your dream, and it's about doing what you went there to do. Come back the right way is what he says to her. I just realized half of what my discussion was earlier <laughs> related to what Pam said, or <laughs> Pam here. But anyways, so that means I've already said it all. Uh, Pam comes back. Pam comes back. She decides, you know what? This is the right way for me. Um, you said to come back at the right time, doing the right thing for me, and this is it. Um, if that means not finishing art school, that's okay. I didn't like graphic design anyway. Um, I was never going to do graphic design, so you know what? It's fine. I'd rather be with you. So it works out. Um, it's good to see her back. It is. Um, and then we've got the last bit as far as story goes, Kelly and Ryan. <laughs> uh, Kelly has been resisting Ryan so well this season, but she <sighs> loses so that battle. Um, in a really funny way too. <laughs> she has the best talking head cutaways. I think back to Dunder Mifflin Infinity again, when she says that she's pregnant and it cuts immediately to her talking head where she's just shaking her head at the camera. <laughs> and we get the same sort of thing here where she has a talking head. She says, you know, Ryan and me are not going to happen. He hurt me too bad for too long. That door is closed. And then immediately cuts to them making out <laughs> aggressively. Like on his desk. <laughs> yeah. Aggressively, aggressively making out in the annex. So yeah, that's, it's a hysterical cut. She does have really good talking heads. You're right. But then Kelly says, you know what? This can't happen. Ryan says it has to happen. And she says, okay, well, I'm with Daryl. And he says, well, I've already typed you out a text. So they've been together for a while and he's, she's going to break up with him via a text, but that's cool. Uh, which Ryan typed out. And he said, we'll press send together. So it really wasn't even her decision to do it. He kind of broke up with Daryl for Kelly. And then Daryl immediately texts back, that's cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I have to say about that. Yeah, I think we have a little bit more to say when we get to our discussion topic. But uh, yeah, Daryl walks with a little extra bounce in his step (laughs) at the end of the episode. (laughs) What about funny moments? Actually, the first line of this episode is pretty great. Um... Michael says, did you know that in Morocco, this is in anticipation for his trip to Canada, or Canada, as he says, did you know that in Morocco it is common to exchange a small gift when meeting somebody for the first time? In Japan, you must always, you must always commit suicide to avoid embarrassment. That one's kind of striking in the wake of the whole Logan Paul suicide forest fiasco. Yeah, a little bit. Um, Because I think that's what's in reference to. Is, I think it is. Yeah. Well, not to Logan Paul, but to the right. suicide forest. <laughs> a little. <laughs> yeah. But I like how he says, you you must always commit suicide, as if you have that opportunity more than once. Mm-hmm. And in, in Italy, this is my favorite, of course, you must always wash your hands after going to the bathroom. This is considered to be polite, <laughs> which insinuates that he does not wash his hands in America. I'm going to probably say that he doesn't. So. <laughs> Yeah, he he hypes up all this this foreign information to everybody only to reveal he's going to Canada, which is not really foreign at all. It's in the same continent. He he says, "I'm fascinated with the international, the women, the pancakes, i.e. IHOP, the man of mystery, <laughs> i.e. Austin Powers." <laughs> 
So various things that have the word international in their title. Yeah. Michael, also in anticipation for his trip, um, is talking all about the international things. He says, Meredith, I want you to pretend that you're from Abu Dhabi. (laughs) And Meredith looks totally surprised and just goes, hello. (laughs) In this vaguely English, British It's almost like a Mrs. Doubtfire. Hello. Yeah. Hello. (laughs) It's, yeah, pretty great. He covers her face with his jacket. Now you are sexy in your culture. Right. (laughs) Michael packs three suitcases, with two of them being empty ones for souvenirs from Canada. Again, just a reminder. Uh, And it's a one-day trip. Like, they're staying one night and then flying back the next day. So... Like, he maybe needs a duffel. Maybe. maybe. (laughs) Toiletries and a change of clothes. That's... Yeah. Not even one of those suitcases. They were big, too. He also gets a per diem for this trip for food, of course. Michael is on the phone with David Wallace and says, I know what I'm going to spend this on. I'm going to spend it on a sweater. David says, you know that this is for your food, right? He says, I'm going to spend different money on that, which means Michael's buying himself a sweater. (laughs) Yeah, basically. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Jim, with everyone knowing that Pam comes back in a week, they've been really weird and oddly personal uh we see kevin slap his butt we see creed approach him and start massaging his shoulders uh phyllis just sort of creepy grins across the room and stanley cackles like they know something's coming they're making like sleeping jokes like oh it's been a while since you had some huh you're gonna get it when she comes back is basically what everybody's insinuating i guess one last one for me uh ryan at the beginning sort of at the beginning of the episode where he's trying to um, impress Kelly and win her back, which he quickly does. He says, you know what? Uh, As soon as Pam gets back, I'm going to be moving back here to the annex with you. Um, Here's probably where I'm going to do my push-ups every day. And it's right by her desk. And he starts doing push-ups. Kelly says, is that, is that supposed to impress me? And so Ryan puts one arm behind his back and like barely gets through push-ups and is breathing really (laughs) heavily, but looks up at her like, yeah, now what? <laughs> and uh, of course, that works. Yeah. I love that Andy brings back Beer Me for this episode, back from Product Recall. He says, Beer Me de Long Island Iced Tea, s'il vous plaît. Oh, and he yeah. says, bad decision in a glass. <laughs> and then later he says, it's true what they say. Long Island Iced Teas are way stronger in Canada. <laughs> Man, it's true. I've always thought it might be. <laughs> yeah, I- I've heard that all the time. Every time I order a Long Island Iced Tea. Yeah, that one time. <laughs> yeah, I-, I like Long Island iced teas. It's not my favorite drink, but it's, it's a bad decision good. in a glass, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Deleted scenes. What do you have? Uh, we got some more international facts from Michael. He says in England they say hi, in China they say hiya, which I think is a, a martial arts reference. Um, in France, women are sexy. In Latin America, they are spicy. In Germany, they're robust and huge. Jim asks, where are you getting all of this information? (laughs) He says, uh, from the information superhighway and movies like European Vacation, Gung Ho, Notting Hill, Under the Tuscan Sky. I'm not familiar with, uh, I'm only familiar with European Vacation of those, uh, which is, of course, a National Lampoon movie. So you definitely can't trust that one. And I'm assuming the others are in the same ilk. I know of a couple, and I think it's actually Under the Tuscan's son, and Michael oh, says t- Sky. Yeah. 
Oh. You're yeah. right. I think you're quoting him correctly, but okay. he's misquoting the movie. Okay, good. I haven't seen it. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. I love this deleted scene. Michael is trying to um, exchange money for Canadian <laughs> dollars from U.S. dollars. And first of all, he's trying to exchange 2,000 U.S. dollars. It's one night, Michael. It's one night. Like, <laughs> even for a really nice dinner, that's just not going to happen. So Oscar suggests, you know what? We're here for one night. Change it back. And so Michael does. And he says, you know what? Get as much as you can because trippers don't take credit cards. So Michael changes it back again. Oscar says, stop. You only need cash for the cab ride. So Michael changes it back again. All this time, there was a handling fee, so he now has $1,800 instead of 2000 <laughs> So all of that, and he walks away $200 poorer. Yeah, it's funny that she doesn't just, like, switch his money out. She treats it as a transaction every single time. I'm right, smart. yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Andy talking with Oscar on the plane. Uh, Oscar says, I haven't been in a relationship in a long time, which is significant because that means that he and Gil broke up. Uh, which it was mentioned at the end of beat or during beach games back in season three uh, that he was trying to get out of that relationship. So we know that it might've been as early. No, it's begin. It was the end of season two that we had beach games. So it might've been as early as season three when him and Gil broke up. So just a little tidbit that that is official. Oscar is single as far as relationships go. Just a little silly one. Jim suggests that the proper manners in Canada are to present a bottle of Vermont maple syrup. So Michael does this at his business meeting in Canada, which I assume is just like a giant slap in the face because you're in Canada um, with probably amazing maple syrup. And Vermont, I'm sure, has great stuff too, but I feel like there's this rivalry, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, Canada has a maple leaf on their flag. It's a pretty big deal for them. Yeah, yeah, probably a big slap. The last one for me, it's one that I would have liked to have seen in an episode. I, I think that everybody who likes Office needs to see this one because it's super stinking sweet. Jim and Pam have gone inside after reuniting in the parking lot, and they're looking at things she's worked on in her art classes at Pratt. And so she, he, he flips through some logo work in her portfolio, and in the back, he finds her sketchbook tucked away. And he just completely marvels over how good she is. And we see some of her sketches. They're really good. His reaction is just so genuine and wonderful. And I think it validates Pam a little bit. Yeah, maybe I failed at this computer stuff, but I'm still a good artist. And it's not just a, oh, that's, it's not like Roy said in her art show where her art was the best art of all the art. It's Jim completely thinking that she's a fantastic artist, and it's it's a really cool moment. Yeah, that was the last one I wanted to mention, too, and I put mm-hmm. the same thing. I put just so different from Roy. Mm-hmm. I think he even says, like, look how much you've grown. Like, he's making mm-hmm. specific remarks about her as an artist and how she's grown since she's been at Pratt, and therefore validating her trip to Pratt, not mm-hmm. her trip, but her, her education at Pratt, and how that's saying so much about it was worth it for him that she go um, because look how much better she's gotten and all this stuff. And just, it was so nice just to see him really appreciate what she does. Yeah. And even if she failed art school, it doesn't mean she has to stop pursuing her dream as an artist because she has talent. Right. Absolutely. On to the discussion topic. 
Mm-hmm. So we talked about the breakup text between Kelly and Daryl from Ryan. Daryl said, it's cool. Um, what do you think went through, I guess, both Ryan and Daryl's heads at this point? I think Daryl was glad to be rid of her because we'd seen how they'd interacted in previous episodes. He says, uh, you need to access your uncrazy side. And she says, I have never met a man like Daryl Philbin who just speaks exactly what he's thinking. What kind of game is that? Uh, so we see that Kelly is more more silly and Daryl is not really up for that kind of thing, but they've lasted a while. Ryan, I think, just wanted the risk. He liked the risk. Daryl's a big dude. He and Kelly have been dating for a while now. And so with him and Kelly hooking up, there's the threat of Daryl getting pissed and causing a scene. But with Daryl not upset, the risk and the wrongness of the situation is gone. And so the appeal is gone for Ryan. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was thinking, from Ryan's point of view anyway, I was thinking it was more like, if Daryl is so easily letting Kelly go, what did I just get into? Yeah, I, I think there's some of that too, for sure. Yeah. But I also think it was about risk. Uh, yeah, because absolutely. Because w- when they first start making out after that talking head where Kelly says, it's not going to happen, she says, this is so wrong. And he goes, mm, yeah. It, like, yeah, it's wrong. Like, good. Yeah, yeah. good. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I think that's everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is the end of the official 42nd episode of An American Workplace. Thank you all for listening. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash workplace pod and at workplace pod on Twitter. Please consider going over to iTunes, rating, reviewing, and hitting that subscribe button if you feel so inclined. You can also rate us on Stitcher and I, or Facebook on our Facebook page. You can also email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me at Twitter. <laughs> Let me go nope, over to my Twitter app, tw- <laughs> at Twitter. We'll bring you to Twitter. Let's try that again. You can find me on Twitter, at ktlady623, probably the best place, or at facebook.com slash katie.white. The best place for me as well is at Twitter, at chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. <laughs> also, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And don't forget my other podcast, Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. We're going to be releasing an episode over the Goonies next week, so that should be fun. Uh, Show notes and contact information can be found at WorkplacePodcast.com. Shoutouts to, apologies, Nitten or Knighton Toms and Greg Arnold for being our two newest subscribers on Patreon. Thank you both very much. Hope you're enjoying the bonus features. If you want a shout out and more of an American workplace each week, including access to discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, and live streams, check out the Patreon page, patreon.com slash workplace pod, and pick the support level that you think is worth it to you uh, to, to show us some support and get that bonus stuff. And that is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 42 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 43 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season five, Frame Toby and The Surplus. Bye. Bye.